You're listening to the, the best, best of the best, best of the best, best, of, the best, best of MIP. Yeah, with honors. <laughs> This is Make It Pine. Make It Pine. M.I.P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make It Pine. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, pleasure to have you back with us here on the show from the Movement for Black Lives. Uh, Dr. Amara Inya, she's a new policy and research coordinator for the movement for black lives first of all dr amara welcome back to make it plain how are you i'm fantastic and it's good to be back it's good to, good to see you glad to have you back so uh you all have released produced and released a report regarding the persecution the u.s government persecution of those of us who've been out here protesting in these streets right yes Yes. So we recently uh, released a report that was conducted in partnership with uh, the CLEAR Clinic. And CLEAR is the Creating Law Enforcement Accountability and Responsibility. It's a clinic out of the uh, City University of New York uh, Law School. So we worked in partnership with them. They did the heavy lifting on the research to analyze cases from last year. So the time period is between August 31st of 2020 and October 25th of 2020. So within that time period, we looked at all of the cases that were brought against individuals who were involved in protest. And what we saw was that the federal government really stepped in. This is a significant case of federal overreach, where they have federalized the charges against individuals who participated in the uprisings last year in a way that is designed to curtail the First Amendment right, in particular of Black people, but also to dissuade people from being engaged in protest and from expressing their dis- their dissatisfaction and calling out systems of oppression uh, in this country. Wow. So we say that people were targeted. These were there were federal charges brought against individuals yeah. more than usual is what you're saying, right? Yes, for sure. So there, we looked at 326 cases and of those 326 cases, we found that in 93% of those cases, they could have been handled in state and local jurisdictions. So the difference between when the federal charges are brought in versus at the state or local level is that federal charges tend to be a lot more harsh. For example, in prisons, uh, individuals are sent to more distant prisons. They're required to serve about 85% of their time. Um, so they're just significantly harsher than charges that are brought at the state or local level. And so we found that in 93%, roughly 93% of cases could have been charged at those state or local level, and they were not. They were charged at the federal level. And of those cases, 22% involve charges that require mandatory minimums. So this is where we have to draw that connection between mass incarceration, and especially for Black people who have been targeted uh, and and have been devastated by mass incarceration, and yet we have the federal government playing a role in funneling people into the carceral system because they were involved in in protests and in particular in these uprisings from last year. So, how many of these cases are still in 
the judicial system? I mean, are these and how many of them include? I mean, have there been ongoing prosecutions and convictions? Yeah, so this is an ongoing process. And we looked at the 326 cases from last year because that was the time period. It was the most intense protests that were happening. And so we wanted to really look at what was how these cases were moving. And so our goal was really to show how how individuals who were engaged in what has been the most significant uh, uprisings in in decades, how they were treated by the federal government. And so the pattern that emerges is actually a familiar pattern. It is a pattern where the federal government has played a role in, in overreaching in order to make an example out of people that were involved in protest. So we can go back to, for example, uh, COINTELPRO in the 1950s and see how the federal government identified black nationalists or black radicals, as they call them. So they would target the Black Panther Party. They targeted the Nation of Islam. They targeted the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. So they have done this in the past and used their position as the federal government to increase surveillance to so that they could also deploy, whether it's local police or federal agents, to disrupt and dismantle, in this case, organizations, Black organizations that were fighting for, for liberation and fighting against systems of oppression. So these cases are still ongoing. So we can't say that these were simply Trump era or Trump administration Justice Department prosecutions because the new administration and the new Justice Department, the new attorney general, so to speak, could put a stop to this if, if they wanted to, right? And, and are you saying they're not doing that? They're letting these prosecutions and investigations go forward? Yeah, so the, the new administration, the Biden administration, has a decidedly uh, a different approach. So m- these charges were were enacted under the Trump administration. But what is clear now is that the Biden administration has to take a much stronger stance in acknowledging these findings, because we know that taken along with this wave of legislation that's designed to criminalize protests, this is a massive threat. So in the last year, 80 pieces of legislation have been pushed in state houses across the country that are attempting to criminalize protests. They're doing some of the same things that the Trump administration had done, meaning, for example, in Florida, a, a riot is now qualified as two people who, who are meeting together without a permit, right? Uh, they've also done some things that uh, would raise anyone's eyebrows. So, for example, they have lowered the charges for an individual who would drive their vehicle into a crowd of protesters. Right, right. right. So these are the sorts of this is the sort of legislation that's sweeping across the country. So when you take that into account with uh, the charges that occurred under the Trump administration, the Biden administration has to take an aggressive stand to say this is not our strategy, that we are not going to be engaged in things like um, in 2017, the Trump administration with the Joint Terrorism Task Force came up with this notion of Black identity extremists. And they did that so that they could include so-called Black identity extremists in their efforts to surveil, to increase surveillance, and to target organizations uh, that were involved in work that might lead to protests or people expressing uh, their First Amendment rights. So I, I listened to you, your words very carefully. First of all, two people together is a riot. So right now, you and I are participating in a riot right now. We don't have we a permit, have a to, permit. Do this, <laughs> right, to, to have this conversation. Y'all, y'all be clear on that. More MIP after this message. 
but I, but what I heard you because I was asking you what the bad administration was doing. You used the word in response should. So are you saying that they're not doing the Biden administration is not doing what it ought to be doing yet uh, in terms of pushing back on the, the over criminalization of, of protesters? Yes. I mean, we know that their strategy is definitely not the same as the Trump strategy. Obviously, we don't have Bill Barr who will be, you know, in in the at the podium using language like thugs and some of the sort of language that they used. But we also know that this administration has made very clear through their rhetoric that they know that they have that, that black people are the reason why the president was elected and that they have this commitment to racial equity and to racial justice. And so because of that rhetoric, it means that the threshold for how they engage on this issue is significantly higher, that we can't just sort of hang back and just let the process play out. They actually have to take an aggressive stand on pushing back against these charges, acknowledging that this is what happened, and then making sure that they are being very vocal about the legislation that is attempting to criminalize protests, because that kind of legislation is what will disproportionately harm black people. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned about 326. How many people are they prosecuting or investigating for January 6th? I wonder. And and how those two numbers compare, you know, because, you know, you can't have prosecution of those in a peaceful demonstration be disproportionate to the prosecution of those in a, a violent demonstration directly against the Capitol members of Congress. Black folk didn't do that. Right. You know, we didn't go up there and do that. Now, we all know what would happen if we would have run up there. First of all, we wouldn't even gotten that far. And and I think that, that this report proves that, does it not, that, you know, we we in the streets, and most of these protests we're involved in, people just mass action in the streets in general, and we pay the consequences. But other folk can just literally run up in the Capitol, kill police officers, which we never did. That's a riot, right? I mean, you know, they, they tried to put that on us as African-Americans and another protesters, uh, BLM protesters and whatnot. But we didn't kill any police. Them folk would have been killed the police on video and took selfies of it. So, to, I mean, you, I, I think we have to figure out the, the, what disproportionality it exists in terms not only the number, but maybe even the, the, the level of prosecution and the seriousness of the charges. Yes, I mean, there's, there's definitely a disparity in terms of the enforcement and in what the charges that actually end up being carried out. So in the cases, they, they did not capture demographic data in all cases, but they did find that more than half of those who were arrested and charged were, were Black. And then of that, 91% were Black men or Black males. So there's definitely a disparity in terms of how this law is enforced. And we can even go to the language that was used. So if you can recall during the insurrection, during the protest, the thugs, these are uh, Antifa, these are, you know, all this sort of negative language. But then in the January 6th insurrection, they were called very fine people by the president. So when the federal government has and has historically used language to demonize certain groups, to demonize, for example, Black protesters, which then gives them the justification for increasing surveillance and then deploying agents of the state to curtail these protests, really to arrest and prosecute these individuals in a way that they have not done for white people. And they clearly it was not done uh, in the lead up to and during the insurrection in January. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and I would dare say, frankly, I think even law enforcement, even though we have all our differences with them, they ought to support this. Years ago, right before Texas, Texas's open carry law went into effect, Dr. Mara, I was invited to speak to Texas State Conference and NAACP. Much to my surprise, I was on a panel, the only civilian on a panel with about four or five police chiefs from Texas. I was like, okay, how's this going to go? But they were all opposed to open carry because they said they don't want to be in situations where they are dealing with civilians that are as armed as they are. All right. That 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 could could even do harm to them. Okay, I get that. I think the same thing applies here. The Capitol Police, I believe, were brutalized in the way they were brutalized because they saw a, a white crowd. And see, white protesters are never demonized like us. Their guards were let down and they got killed. Like we said, the way we're demonized, if we had gone up to the Capitol, they would come out there with guns drawn, loaded for bad. And so look what happens when you demonize one group of people wrongfully and then lionize another group of people wrongfully. They, I mean, they just knew that white people would not tear up their own United States Capitol. They just knew there's no way. No, they're not. This isn't really real. You can even look at some of the videos, like some of them rich standing like, I can't, this really can't be happening. But if we just gone up there nonviolently, you know, that's the history. Oh, these extremists, these are black identity extremists. These are, you know, we all are black Panthers. So it would seem to me that even from that experience, that they would learn how or understand how it is an equal danger to public safety to profile and stereotype one group of people. Yeah, I mean, what what was clear is that even, and I was involved in many of the uprisings um, last year, and even before some of them got off the ground, so, be, you know, at the beginning, before people, t before people take off, before the marches start, and so on and so forth, I mean, the police were assembled, heavily armed, in, in riot gear, long before anything, anything even started. And we right. do have accounts of peaceful protests devolving after police got involved. But what we saw with on January 6th was that, you know, some of the police were open, removing barricades, opening doors, taking selfies. And it just really shows in very plain, in a very plain way, how the system treats people differently based upon their race. And so it's not a stretch to imagine that the way that people are prosecuted who are engaged in protest, Black people, that it will harm this sort of action by the federal government, will harm Black people more so in more severe ways when they are the main ones that, that have to be out in the streets protesting because... I mean, the reasons why people were out in the streets protesting last year is, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, after so many decades and generations of police killing black people. And now to be to have the, the, the federal government stepping in in ways that are designed to curtail your ability to even express your First Amendment right to call out these injustices. It's something that should give everyone pause. Yeah, yeah, I, w I would agree. More MIP after this message. Police officer shot and killed a black woman in her own home. Incident after incident, year after year. Say Their Name, a podcast that focuses on the assault and killing of unarmed black people by police and in Stand Your Ground states. I'm the mother, father, sister, uncle, grandmother. We were best friends. We are humanizing these headlines, figuring out 
who these victims really were before the hashtags. Say their name. You can listen on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. I would love to do a side-by-side comparison of these cases uh, versus the January 6th cases. I really, I mean, I, I, I would, I, I would hope you all would be able to do that because I think people need to see it. I'm willing to bet you we still find some, some great deal of disproportionality there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and we can go back to Charlottesville too. I mean, it was, it was the same thing. The same. Uh, and I think that was the case where the uh, individual drove the, his car into protesters and killed a woman. And, and after that, in Florida, they actually created legislation to reduce the penalty for that sort of behavior. So they're basically saying, if you kill protesters, you have a friendlier environment to do that. But if you're engaged in protesting against the murder of Black people or police murders, you have a higher chance of getting a harsher penalty. Yeah, yeah. Folks, you can uh, read the report at m4bl.org and hear how African-Americans, those who have been protesting in this movement for black lives, how they are uh, targeted for prosecution. As Dr. Mara says, in cases that could be confined to state and local laws, uh, this is happening on um, a federal level. Biden said we've had his back. It's now his time to have ours. Uh, he needs to just drop all these charges uh, and release all black political prisoners too while he's at it. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think that's that's really where it's at. But folks, we invite you to read this report, and and maybe you know we can find a way to look at side by side. It, it, so what I'm understanding is approximately 618 people have been charged in the Capitol insurrection. And right now, and, and, and that's probably still disproportionate as well, because we know the way we are targeted in these other cases. So one half the number, we don't equal one half of the population or one half the insurrectionists, because most of the protests, all of the protests, really, shouldn't even say most. Uh, there were, you know, we know there were provocateurs. That always happens. And then we don't, let's be real, we know every provocateur ain't from us. You know, we know that's the other thing. There's infiltration in a lot of other. I mean, we saw people in, in Ferguson. We were like, no, this this cat, he ain't with us. I mean, it was real clear. You, you know, you know, the people in your community who's not in your community. Yeah. And you everybody knows in their own community who's out there making trouble. And we saw people literally in Ferguson when we were there. Dr. Mar, I mean, instigating stuff with the police and then off on the side having conversations with the police. I mean, we people folks out and uh i can talk about now because it's i mean it was confidential then but there were some brothers who we saw doing that and they were the foi went and talked to them and escorted them to the airport that literally happened there were some cats moving around kind of playing both sides and pushing young people to get physical with the police i'm like why are you telling them kids to fight the police put their hands on the police so they got polite so come get in the car got dropped off at the airport so <laughs> just causing trouble. And and but in these other situations, I mean, it, it's completely nonviolent. You're right. In Ferguson, every night at 11 o'clock, full ride gear was on the streets. It was like clockwork. Like it was just they were ready at 11 o'clock every night. Uh, everybody knew what was going to happen January 6th. Trump's down there telling people to run up on the Capitol. They still everybody was chill. Yeah, we all chill. So, folks, there is a double standard. So we'd like to see that side by side. M4BL.org. You should be on M4BL.org anyway, just to square and inform 
uh, two people without a permit is a riot. All of you are listening. Since Dr. Mar and I are only two people, if you are listening to this thing, you're, you're part of the ride too, because you make it even more than two people. You're complicit. So you're complicit. That's right. We just riding up a storm. You know, Dr. Mar, last thing I'll say, when I used to, uh, we were dealing with police accountability in D.C. in the 90s, and um, part of a settlement we had with them was that some of us from the community would teach classes in the D.C. Police Academy. And so I taught a class entitled the um, historical the historic relationship between African Americans and law enforcement, and in it, uh, people need to understand connotation and denotation. A lot of people don't know this. In the early 1900s, probably up through the 30s and 40s, the definition of riot is different than what it is now. When most people think of a riot now, they think of what they saw in '68 and up to the present: mm-hmm. civilians mm-hmm. rioting. But as I'm sure you know, in, in the early part of that century, when you saw the term riot, the immediate visual was the police. Mm. The police were the ones who were rioting and white mobs. And then, you know, how they flip things now. So the face of riot is black. But in the, you know, in the ni- early 1900s in this country, the face of a riot was white police and white mobs. You know, and, and so people need to understand that too. Police literally rioted. We saw it in Tulsa. And we also saw, just to note, a reversal in the role of the federal government. So in many of those instances, when black people were killed, the federal government actually stayed back. They would hang back. They would not get involved. So you're seeing the opposite of that happening now, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. Folks, m4bl.org, a very important uh, report, Struggle for Power, the Ongoing Persecution of, of Black Movement by the U.S. Government. Just one last thing in terms of those people who are still caught up in that, uh, are people organizing legal defense for people or, or, or helping them out? Do they have the support that they need? Yes. And so part of our, our push in getting this report out is to create more awareness around these cases and the individuals that are getting caught up in these cases, because a lot of folks don't, don't know what happened to people who are arrested last year. They don't know what happened to those who were charged. And so part of what we want to do is use this as an opportunity to educate and to create awareness so that we can help in the push for amnesty uh, for all of those individuals that have been charged. You're also calling for the, the dismantling of the Joint Terrorism Task Force, correct? Yes. Yes. And the, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, again, it was started in uh, 2017, but we also saw the black identity extremist was thrown into the mix and it just gives the, the federal government the license to now increase surveillance against black people to use their, to the, increasing the, the prosecution of black people, these harsher sentences. And so that's also part of what we are, we are pushing back against. Yeah. M4BL.org folks struggle for power, the ongoing persecution of the black movement by the U S government. Dr. Amara Inya, a very special guest. Always a pleasure to have her here on Make It Plain. Dr. Amara Inya, we thank you again, folks. She's a policy and research coordinator for M4BL, the Movement for Black Lives. Thank you as always. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. 
If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.